Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I mean, it is 20, nearly 21 years on, and sometimes, and I could get a lump in my throat thinking about it, sometimes the grief just completely sideswipes you. Mm. But other, most of the time, she was amazing, and I just want to tell people she was amazing, and I want to remember her stories. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all, and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. So this week on the podcast, we had a really, really interesting guest. Mm. Um, Her name is Jess Dornan, and she is the founder of Afterbook, which is a really, really fascinating idea. Basically, she's creating kind of a, a legacy space where we can have photos and memories of our loved ones. And also you can create one for yourself throughout the years and leading up towards maybe um, if you're if you're sick or something, you want to have something for your family. Um, but we had a wonderful chat with her. She lost her mom when she was just 19, which was very difficult uh, for their family. And um, yeah, it was a it was a great chat. It was. And she's really like when you sort of obviously with this, what we're talking about here, mm. sometimes you think, oh, it's going to be down and depressing, but she's so bright and bubbly mm. and cheery. And I think what's also interesting is that like her mum passed away nearly 21 years ago, but yet she's still on her journey without mm. using that word of grief yeah. and exploring how it's affected her and her life. And I mean, obviously Afterbook is, it's an amazing idea. Mm. And I mean, so many of us use Facebook I suppose still to connect with a loved one who's passed away's birthday mm. or just like it's a little reminder to other people or you know I noticed on Martin's birthday the other day like people were leaving messages on his Facebook yeah. page which I found really comforting yeah. that people still cared and yeah. still wanted to wish him a happy birthday so this is a brilliant idea because it's also not as public as yeah. Facebook can be but it's also it's a real respectful it's a sharing place yeah thing and if you don't want to go there you don't have to yeah. you know so yeah. it's also as she said herself like for a lot of people they may be having a great day and the last thing they want to see is like maybe something that brings them down a little mm. bit so this is something that's completely dedicated um, dedicated yeah. to this mm. area yeah. <laughs> yeah, I and I think the one of the things she talks about that they're working mm. on is like things like future messaging someone being able to leave messages for someone that they'll receive on a specific date and um, obviously I got quite emotional when she was talking about having children after you've lost someone um, and how if you had a message from the person that day and how wonderful that would be mm. or a wedding day or something uh, you know for your children as their lives go on so it's really great you guys should definitely check out After Book and um, yeah here's our chat with Jess Our guest on the podcast this week was just 19 when her mum passed away tragically from pancreatic cancer. 
Now, in the wake of her death, Jess Dornan has uh, been inspired to try and change the way that we remember our loved ones online. And she's created an online platform called Afterbook. Now, this is geared towards preserving memories and creating a legacy for its deceased users. First of all, Jess, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Before we talk about Afterbook, because it is a brilliant idea, Sasha and I were mm. talking about this a lot and just the importance of little things and keeping memories alive and whatever those memories may be, whether it's mm. voice or images or whatever. You were 19 mm. when your mum passed away. Do you want to take us back to that time, first well, of all? It was a long time ago, it goes without saying. So this whole notion of social media and recording anything was really non-existent uh, in those days. It was before the dawn of the internet age mm. even. Um, but yeah, I was I was young. It was a very pivotal time of my life. She had received a diagnosis in 1997 and I was 17 and about to embark on my A-levels. Mm. And... She was given a very bad prognosis. I mean, pancreatic cancer. Thankfully, the figures are getting a bit better, but they're still very bleak. it's not the one you want to get. Very bleak. It's the last one you want to get. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but you know, or if you've experienced this, but you know when a topic has reared its head in your life and then it's suddenly everywhere. Mm. I remember like the week after she was diagnosed and she was given like three months to live. It's very aggressive. And she had returned from a trip to Spain with my father and was jaundiced. And that's how she you know, was diagnosed in the end. So it had gone on so long undiagnosed that, you know, it had gone to to the jaundice stage. Um, but it's a very difficult uh, cancer to diagnose. Yeah. You know, it really is. But she'd returned and she got the diagnosis. And I remember a week later, my father was very upfront with us from the very beginning. And my mum, my mum was a nurse. My father was a doctor, very medical family, quite matter of fact about everything, which I appreciate. It's not always easy, but I certainly mm. appreciated it. And a week later, the, the Sunday Times magazine had a, a cancer special. <laughs> and I remember it had yeah. top 10 most common cancers top 10 biggest killers and mm. pancreatic cancer was the least common but the biggest killer. One of the um, national newspapers shortly after Martin died was very you know like the the last stages and the loneliness of like a cancer patient and this and it was sort of it was everywhere it was everywhere and it's almost like go away yeah. <laughs> you know yeah which is interesting because now what you're doing what I'm trying to do is destigmatize conversations around this and it's not like it wasn't spoken about or published about or, or addressed in any way but I don't think it was addressed in the right way I think it was quite clinical mm. and um, with less emotion and so we just took it from there and then life becomes about I don't know adopting roles and I immediately thought well I'm not going to do my A-levels and I'll just mm. drop out of school and just be with mum you know I would probably be the vigil holder you know holding mm. her hand and mm. nursing her bed sores and all the inevitable things it doesn't co- quite happen like that and my mum lived for much longer and she had said that she'd had a lovely life and she was only 48 when she was diagnosed and that she had had a lovely life and three wonderful if I do say so myself children <laughs> and she just was going to you know not fight it and accept her lot and without telling her we all found that quite hard to bear um, even the notion of it But when she had her surgery and my father said, look, if the surgery lasts all day, it's successful. And if it's quick, it's unsuccessful because they'll just open and close. And I went to school that day and 
totally bunked off all my classes, which I'd never done. I was quite a good girl. And at lunchtime, I just thought, God, I can't be here. And so I went home and I think about five minutes after I got home, my dad arrived home and I knew it was was just bad bad news. news. And he was very direct about it all. But we went up to see my mum in ICU that night and she was full of tubes and everything but she she had a little whiteboard and she wrote down on it no I'm going to take the treatment I'm going to fight it and that allowed her that gifted her 15 months mm. you know when she'd been given three to six mm. uh, so I'm not saying every moment of those 15 months was worth it and I that is a phrase I would use because you know give you time everything that we've collectively experienced teaches us to really value what life is all about and I think that's really what's led me to be where I am today mm-hmm. just that deeper thinking of what is life all about but when the quality of life mm-hmm. isn't good enough then yeah I remember after my dad died because my dad was sick for quite a long time then when my mom got sick and there was a possibility they said to us she might live for 18 months and yeah, just like right. you were saying I thought my sister and I both, it was such a difficult moment because we both thought we don't want that because for her. Because you've been through it. It's a very hard thing to admit because you love yeah. the person, you want them to be yeah. here, but the quality of life, if it's that yeah. difficult and it can be just like, just so painful. Totally. Um, was your mom always in that sort of uh, kind of optimistic, kind of positive, the way that she kind of approached the diagnosis? Was she always like that? She was very, I'd say happy-go-lucky, but probably against all odds happy-go-lucky she had been adopted in 1948 um, which was a very common story in Ireland as we know in those days and her parents who are my grandparents I mean you could call them her adoptive parents but they were very strict brethren lay preachers and she had a very strict upbringing and she wasn't allowed to listen to rock and roll but she loved the Rolling Stones Mm. she wasn't allowed to wear trousers but she wanted she made all her own clothes and she was very creative and that's not a world that would enthuse creativity, I suppose, and, and encourage uh, creativity. And she always felt that she had some kind of, I don't know what you would say, mystical qualities. Like she said, she could read tea leaves and auras. <laughs> and, and when she was ill, of course, we yeah. adopted a very medical approach. I mean, my father was a doctor, as I say, but, but we also went to see faith healers and mm. seventh sons of seventh sons and tried everything because you know hope springs eternal and you just tried everything and I was the one that went and did that with her my sister was a lot more practical and thank god she was because I don't know how anything would have happened without her and my brother was young and so he was at school we were all at school Mm. um my sister had left school she was at university but we were all at school and she was very positive to address your initial question sorry about us going on with our lives and She had wanted to go to art college when she was a young woman and in fact had won a place at art college and when she returned from a summer working in Scotland, her parents had said, no, art college is not a place for our daughter and they'd cancelled her enrolment and enrolled her in nursing school, which she loved. I mean, she loved that uh, life and that career and she met my dad and, you know, Mm. all of those things. But she was delighted to know that I was going to art college and she did know that before she passed away. Did you find that difficult then? Did you find when you were there that you're almost living what she wanted? I mean, in a way, in a way, Mm. maybe not. I mean, I wanted to go to art college anyway, but I maybe would have done something different. And I actually accepted a place because I really wanted her to know exactly where I was going Mm. before she died. And I knew there was no time. And the way the timings all worked, I wasn't going to find out. But 
the Grafton Academy, it's Dressmaking Academy, yeah. accepted me and I, I took the place. Mm. And I actually enrolled and went down, I mean, just after mum died, you know, like five weeks after mum died. And for the first time in my life, I found myself about three weeks ahead of my class after about a week. And I thought, oh, I don't think this is stimulating enough for me. Mm. And I also was quite conscious that my dad was on his own my brother was on his own back up home so I changed my plans and went back up north and did go to art college I went and did a foundation before coming back down to Dublin the following year and going to NCAD so there was I suppose a bit of an onus of right I'm the artistic one I'll yeah, carry that I need on. To. Yeah. but I think if you're creative in any way there's not just one creative hat mm. you're wearing and I mean what I'm doing now is is teaching me that because on one hand I'm a total fish out of water doing anything in tech. But on the other hand, I'm all about the, the narrative value and the mm, storytelling mm. and the creativity of it. And, you know, that yeah. was gifted to me by my mum. She wrote a book before she died. Oh, wow. And we published it as a family, like 20 yeah. copies just last year, actually, oh, on amazing. the 20th anniversary of her. Of her was that death. sort of... Well, well, it was really very emotional. My sister and I did it actually, and and really, I should give all credit to my sister. Um, I supplied the artwork, so I painted a painting, and it was semi-autobiographical, but probably too racy for me to say <laughs> that it was fully autobiographical. <laughs> so it's a little bit hard, you know, um, from that point of view. Mm. But there were lots of elements. She also published a little testimony to her life. Mm. She was very influenced by getting back in touch with her faith before she died. And she'd probably had kind of a wayward life in and out of faith, as many people do. And she really got back in touch uh, before she died with it. And so she she was creatively writing in a lot of ways. And I know it helped her so much. It was such an outlet for mm, her. So, therapeutic. so I think it, it was just lovely. Can we talk about faith a little bit? It's, it's actually never come up. Mm. <laughs> it's just really interesting mm. in all of these episodes. I think it's only come up maybe once or twice. We've talked a lot about that belief that someone is going to another place mm. or heaven. And that oftentimes is a great comfort to a lot of people. Was that something that you went through, especially because your mom... It, was to my mum, certainly, and we were brought up, you know, going to church every Sunday. And I have to say then when my father's career started getting more successful and Saturday nights were bigger for them, <laughs> Sunday mornings were t- took a bit of a back seat for mm-hmm. us. And everyone has a journey with their faith, especially if you're from this island. Um, mm-hmm. I... I'm not a faithful person now. I mean, I'm very faithful in lots of other areas of my life, but not in a religious sense. I think my mum would be completely happy with that. I completely respect the fact that she refound that and that she knew where she was going and it gave her great, great Mm. comfort. And it gives me comfort to know that she felt that way. Mm. But I give myself comfort. I mean, my atheism is as much of a comfort Mm. to me. And I also really believe in something spiritual mm. but for me it's mother nature I love the world mm. and I love the planet I love Ireland I've talked to very very religious people who then lose somebody and they lose their faith with that because yeah, it's sure. just of course too much for them mm-hmm. but then other people I've seen go the other extreme Cling where they mm. lose somebody and it's like this yeah you know, so it's, I think it's an interesting to see how it because I think it's something it's something mm. bigger than mm. us and Let's face it, none of us know what that is. None of us. And there's just no way. I mean, I like to think there's maybe something. I don't think it is what this 
Ireland and many mm. other parts of the world have thought it was for such a long yeah. time. <laughs> Big time. But yeah. I love people mm. and I have real faith in humanity. So mm. maybe that's a humanist. Maybe it's a humanist, I suppose. Yeah. And my mum my had a very... So uh, one of the really interesting and really poignant and beautiful stories was as she'd been adopted into the Brethren faith, in that faith, I don't know an awful lot about it now, I'm no authority, but you elect to be baptised at the age of 13 and it's full submersion in a tank mm. basically at the front of a congregation and my mum was terrified of water and terrified of swimming and terrified yeah. of, so she didn't do it and to my grandfather's credit he supported her in not mm. doing it I mean he probably could have put his foot down and mm. said no you have to so she was never baptised and then when she was 48 and she'd had the unsuccessful surgery she and my dad were in the hospital in the Royal in Belfast and she said I better get baptised I mean I just mm. never have and so they said well who's the administering clergyman mm. and they said oh it's Father Paul Byrne who's a Catholic priest so mm. she'd been raised in the Brethren faith Plymouth Brethren my father was Methodist we'd had gone to a Methodist church uh, growing up and then my mum was baptised into the Catholic faith <laughs> And then she refound <laughs> some yeah. champions. Like, really, well, that's yeah. the ecumenist nature. Mm. I think that's brilliant. I know there were some, and so we had Father Paul, and we had a brethren, brethren minister, and we had our Methodist minister all um, speaking at her funeral mm. and conducting an element of it, and it was just lovely. But I know there were country cousins who were rolling their eyes. Mm. <laughs> You're really speaking so beautifully about your memories of her. Like you seem to have, you know, so much oh. about her history. I found that quite difficult because I feel like it's starting to get patchy sometimes. And I find that, you know, that's a lot about what you're doing is a lot about yeah. that, right? But and that's a very fearful place to be when you think the memories are going. Yeah. Or they're not as clear. But you guys, do, does, do your family, do you talk about her a lot? Is that yeah. how you keep her? That That's just it. And I mean, not as much as we should. That's the whole point. Mm. And because we, the world is disparate. We live all over the place. We're very busy. Everyone's family yeah. is like that now. You're away from yeah. home, home, you know. Mm. Um, we're all away from home in some respect. And when my family and I are together, we always say, let's dedicate one evening, one meal to just telling stories about mom and talking about mom and laughing and laughing mm. and celebrating yeah, well, her very, life. Because she was, it's she very was important. just lovely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it is 20, nearly 21 years on and... Look, sometimes, and I could get a lump in my throat thinking about it, sometimes the grief just completely sideswipes you. Mm. But other, most of the time, she was amazing, and I just mm. want to tell people she was amazing, and That's I want to remember idea. her stories. Mm. And it's very important to me that my children know mm. all about her. And, you know, we talk about Nana Lorna all the time, and I'm very upfront and open about death with them. I don't think... You know, my father's always said Molly Coddling never did anyone any good and I completely agree and shielding people from things is just not the right way. Getting it all out in the open is. But that piece about talking about her and spending a whole meal time talking about her or a whole evening, it doesn't really happen that often because yeah. we all have children yeah. and they're crap sleepers and one of us is sick or one of us is whatever. You know, we're, yeah. we're like, that busy. life is still busy. So. And so... This my mm. my my offering or my my creation after book allows us to. Mm. I mean, my children do drawings. My my nieces do drawings and and put them up. And sometimes my daughter just says, oh, "I'm just thinking about Nana Lorna today, and I wish I'd known her." Mm. And she's now riding horses, and my mum loved horses, and she she loves that little connection that they had. And 
I always remember that film Beaches, which oh, oh god, oh my god, <laughs> when she can't remember her oh. mother's hands, mm, and yeah. I mean, I have my mother's hands, which my friend Una has told me since I was a teenager are wizened hands. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to forget them, but mm. I, I do. It was before the days of you know taking a lot of video footage, and so I, I don't really have her voice in my head as much yeah. as I would like. But what I'm offering people will allow people to to record Mm. that for prosperity. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Tell us about Afterbook. We've discussed things. It's come up so many times mm. with things like voicemails and yeah. voicemails going missing on mm. phones and yeah. maybe pictures or recordings. Like now, obviously, you know, there's such a there's, wealth. There's so much stuff yeah. there. But still, sometimes I still don't think you take enough photos or enough, yeah, enough videos. Do you know what I mean? like too, even yeah. now well, I sort you, of go, why didn't we take more? I know maybe but, you take enough, but they aren't filtered and focused enough. Mm. You know, social media is amazing. You know, it's changed our lives, and I think used right for the better. Mm. I think it's an amazing connecting tool. I think it's wonderful, but it is often the banal. It's more and more political I would say I mean certainly my feeds are often political just the world we live in Mm. Um, and it's not the sensitive space that I want to spend Mm. time remembering my mum on and you know if someone does post something on social media and it's it's about grief and it's not in a specific group like maybe it's on their page or something there's obviously you see people reaching out to them but there's a little bit of a you know, I was just going through my day and I, maybe I didn't want mm. to deal with that. Or, mm. But Afterbook allows you to have that completely sensitive space and it's filtered and focused content and it's not, you know, limited by characters. So my dad and I often say that life is like a library and there's a section for love and education and childhood and adventure and pathos, yes, and um, music, everything in between. And where are we recording the chapters of our life? So Afterbook allows you to record in in long form, in Mm -hmm. chapter format, but it also has a memory board, which is much more, I mean, a very recognized tool is a memory jar to help Mm. people remember. And then you can pick out memories and just Mm. shorter memories like a like a pin board. Um, Mm. Does it allow you to control your memories in a way that perhaps something like fake, fake book, Facebook (laughs) doesn't like you can be sort of flicking through Facebook one day and a memory will pop up, which will completely hit you like a train and you're just going so no we're not pushing an agenda it's really just a platform Mm. so you can go to it whenever you feel the need and other people with whom you've shared the profile can contribute their own memories and part of its inception was my father and I were having far too much wine (laughs) one Tuesday (laughs) night that tends to happen Um, (laughs) 
a couple of weeks before Christmas. This is only about two and a mm. half years ago, not even. And um, he was saying, oh, I just, you know, I feel like there's a space. He's a very um, ideating person, mm. big blue sky thinker. And a lot of the times we talk about his ideas or my ideas or anyone and that they're you know, they're bull crap and you know, say, no, I don't think that's going to work. But this one, I thought, oh, I think that's got legs and I would mm. love that. And and he had bumped into someone in a train station who had, and I mean, I'm talking 27 years ago, camcorder footage. And it was in those days that you set a camcorder mm. on a table and mm. you recorded like eight hours of a party. <laughs> and it was through glasses and people setting cigarettes down in front of it and all that. But it was my mum singing at a christening of a baby that my dad had delivered. He's an obstetrician, gynaecologist, and we didn't always go to the christenings, but yeah. uh, this one we did go to at Belfast Castle. And my mum was singing, and then we're variously dancing. We're at it as well, dancing with mum and dancing with dad. And it's just lovely. And if, if he hadn't bumped into that person, never he never would have seen that footage. Yeah. And imagine how many mm. photographs, mm. videos maybe less so audios that there are out there stories in the world and I bumped into a friend of my mum's and she was telling me Vivian she'd probably like to be mentioned my mum used to go on quite a fun girl skiing trip with her every year and they had arrived and they were at the baggage carousel and Vivian turned to mum and her crown had fallen off and mum said oh, it's okay I've got some super glue <laughs> and they went into the bathroom at like you know Chambray airport or something in France and she super glued her crying back onto her tooth and I was like, oh, Vivian, I don't know if I should be sharing that, but let's put it in her after book profile because yeah, yeah. it's yeah. quite fun. In terms of grief, Mum wasn't a dentist, so I should say. Yeah. <laughs> or a dental nurse. But in terms of grief, these stories, I, for me, are, and I know everyone's different, are the most soothing moments. Mm, totally. When someone shares with you something about the person and they yeah. talk about and there's this levity yeah. and there's and the stigma Great that we word. talk about breaking yeah. is that people often don't want to bring the person up mm. yeah. and I'll yet all we name. want yeah. Yeah, yeah. is please talk about tell yeah. me a story about the tooth yeah. I mean like that's in your memory now even mm. you weren't there yeah. and you're part of it um, and they give you a, pers- a piece of the person back it seems like Afterbrook is a very kind of like respectful place like a much that's kind exactly of respecting it respecting grief respecting loss and not putting boundaries on it like I remember there being a comment under something I posted on Facebook that was like, um, I know you feel more than others. Ooh. In a it's sort of like, look, I took it. It was I was in a very sensitive time. I read it as like, I'm different than everybody else because I was grieving and I was too sad or I was more sad than I should be. But places like that are very specific where you're allowed to be yourself and yeah. you're allowed to yeah. be as sad as you need to be or as respectful and remembering someone's memory that seems very important yeah and it's really fascinating how lots of cultures deal with grief and death and I think in Ireland there are so many things that are contributing factors if there's one thing I've learned in my life is that nothing is binary nothing is well that happens for that reason you know it's Mm. it's a combination it's a melting pot of the fact that we were you know oppressed for a long time and that creates very creative people and storytellers and all the narrative and the history on this island. There's the troubles that have affected us directly or indirectly. Every single person has been affected by the troubles. And then there's how we wake our dead. You know, mm. there's the, the Irish wake. I mean, it's it's world famous. And then cut that to, say, the British quite stiff upper mm. lip. And I feel that mourning, per se, hasn't really changed since the Victorian era when 
uh, Queen Victoria plunged the nation into a state of mourning on the death of her husband, mm. Prince Albert. And I mean, everything went black and we all had to wear black. And we, I say talk as if I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you <laughs> know a lot about it. So yeah, it's like you were. And, you know, mourning brooches mm. and wearing, and some of the options that they came out with are, are great, but I love the, and I'm looking at a cup with the Dia de los Muertos, I love the Mexican mm. uh, or, yeah. or, or South and Central American, Latin American culture of, of celebrating life and remembering mm. the person with colour and song yeah. and dance and, and real celebration. And that is respectful. I, mm. I don't think that it is disrespectful to I mean I've al- already said and anyone who's organising it listen up I want everyone to wear bright colours mm. at my funeral and yeah, yeah, no, celebrate my life yeah. and I mean very few people have been to a funeral in recent years that says the funeral of and that doesn't say the celebration of the life of mm. and that's a really key point I think we are starting to move out of it spokespeople or or people in the media are starting to be a lot more open about it. Sheryl Sandberg of, of Facebook with her Option B mm. community, um, Princess William and Harry talking about mm. um, the legacy of the grief of their mother, which, I mean, no one could really understand that because there was no one quite mm. like their mother. But people are starting to be more open about it, but it does have to be very sensitive. And that is exactly, you know, what we're trying mm. to do. Mm. It's just not the right space. Also, for example, I mean, Facebook can be put into in memoriam, but my mum didn't have a Facebook yeah. account. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to retro-create one yeah. for her just so I can put it into in memoriam. <laughs> or give her a Twitter handle. Um, yeah. But also, and some people have said, you know, sure, you would always have your Facebook feed. If my family or my loved ones wanted to remember me by my Facebook feed after I'm gone, yeah. then... Yeah. I better start I deleting mean, I some see, stuff because yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you just, can see where I mean we've talked about this again the pros and cons and mm. the sort of people posting you know like in my situation when my husband died it was like please don't put anything on till tomorrow or I'll give the say so and by that night already certain family members oh, had stuff up on Facebook and I was like no. but it is but there is this sense of and because that's Every day, that's on your phone. Oh, that's yeah. It's an app. You're oh, getting yeah. alerts. Completely. You're getting. Also, you're seeing, you know. I we can remember people together, though, which is nice. Absolutely. You know, birthdays Look, or. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, you know, there's great integration and you can share your Afterbit profile through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's that's from, from day one been very important to us. Because grief is, I mean, I, I've said it before, I. I I know it's not just I don't believe or I don't agree. There are not five stages of grief. If no. you go through <laughs> 95 stages yeah. of grief, that's fine. That's yeah. completely. Yeah. And stages makes it sound like there's a finish line. Mm. And I mean, I'm nearly 21 years on and there's no finish line. And in fact, I mean, it's taken me a long time to sort of actively deal or create something to help me deal with my grief. But it's because of that's the phase of life that I'm in. You know, I have children my mum would have had grandchildren I have been not stricken by grief but really really um you know sideswiped we've used that term already but sideswiped by grief more often in the last decade than I have in the preceding decade because I I see so much yeah and because I see what she you would have loved to see and Mm. you know because my 20s you mean your 20s are your 20s and I just went off I probably didn't really deal with it properly. I, you know, I, I went to university. It was all quite hedonistic. And then I I was talking about this with my, my great friend, um, Fiona, and I kind of went through my entire 
life story with her recently and um, I seem to have needed a complete change in my life every mm. so often. So, you know, I did a degree in fashion design and then I worked in fashion for a few years here in Dublin and then I needed, I just needed out of Ireland. Mm. I needed out of a relationship at the time and I moved to South Africa. I trained to be a field guide and I worked with lions for a year and lived in a caravan with no electricity. <laughs> I mean, that is really going. Yeah. It's because it's still it. <laughs> it, Escapism, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Or but a change is as good as a rest. Or, it could be just some yeah. day in the morning at work just going... Yeah, I need to do here. something. I need to change. I don't know what situation. it is. I need yeah. to do something, yeah. whether it's exciting or different, yeah. or just something. And it's that activity. I've I've heard a lot from um, you know experts in grief, like counselors and and uh, that sort of thing, saying you know you have to be active in your grief. And we've mm. talked about lots of times, you know, actively creating a memory book. And well, everything needs digitally supported. So this mm. is the digital support. Can I ask you a question? I noticed uh, when I was signing up that there's an option to create one for yourself. Well, that is the next phase. So well, this because is that's vital to me. But this, I think, this is incredible. Yeah, especially if you were facing maybe a, a diagnosis or yeah. something that you knew that you exactly. maybe had limited time, yeah. and you wanted to create something very, very intentional mm-hmm. for your family to have. So, mm-hmm. like you were saying, not your Facebook page, which mm-hmm. you know, it turns out my dad lied about his age on his Facebook page so he could be younger, so he could like, <laughs> really? pick up chicks or something. <laughs> and like half of it was like, you know, this was like he successful. He, he, he definitely was. Like um, there are. Yeah. <laughs> but you know things like his Facebook page is a hilarious version of what he wanted the world to see but it's not it's not maybe that private yeah. thing that he'd want to share with his family and I think touching on that is really special that you're able to create something for your loved ones about who you are who, yeah. who you see yourself to be because yeah. that's always the worry maybe is that everyone has their own interpretation of you that's very true that's very true and I really lament the fact that I didn't have those conversations Mm -hmm. with my mum and again it was before the time that we were as self-reflective as we all Mm. are now or encouraged to be or mindful or anything like that so I just I didn't get that opportunity Mm -hmm. but because of losing her and because of what Afterbook allows now and about 15% of our users create Mm -hmm. an Afterbook for themselves and yes we would like to grow that to have no one have to create yeah. retro create an afterbook mm. for someone that it's all there and the rollout with our next campaign is to build new features in the pipeline like a future messaging service so that oh, there are messages that would, that would be unlockable on key dates in your life I mean I would have loved obviously my mum on my wedding day or mm. at the birth of my children and I mean and you know, those things are so important in life. Um, my father, again, now this was a little bit um, just because of what he was able to do and the career he'd had, but he was an obstetrician in the Royal and Belfast, so he arranged for me to have my first daughter in the room that my mum had me in. And that, oh, wow. I mean, and I stayed in that room the night mm. before. I, I slept in there and I was induced and, you know, that, it's so poignant and it's so it can't be shrugged off because it was just uh, it meant everything to me to in some way have her there mm. um, oh yeah way. it's really like I think um, as someone who had you know I had my uh, daughter after my mom and dad died and you, there's a real emptiness if there's no yeah you don't hear from them or you don't, you know, they don't yeah, know yeah. That, yeah. that they don't know that There's it happened. You're not telling. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. didn't, it, it happened. You know, you're, you're like, I was screaming to the universe. Like it happened. I had a yeah. baby. Yeah. And um, yeah. so if there was something, because both of them knew they were dying, 
if there was something yeah. that they could have said okay I'll put something up so that mm. on that day absolutely you know, that, I think that's great and uh, I knew my mum would have done it and uh, look not only is after book about legacy but our lives are about legacy and she didn't really have the chance to you know I always say she was an ordinary woman but she had really extraordinary life events and stories everyone does if you delve deep enough you don't even have to delve that deep scratch the surface everyone has amazing stories to tell and I know my mum would have used a service such as Afterbook and she she did write to us all she wrote us all a letter and I mean for a long time and I still find it hard but I said she was a little bit mystical a little bit in touch with her Irish traveller self or something I think she thinks that somewhere in her bloodline which we're not really familiar with that that would have been apparent but she basically prophesized how I would meet my husband and who in a in a roundabout way mm. she said you know I think you'll go on to have this sort of career and I don't yet know who you will marry but I think I have a feeling he'll be older than you and that you'll be very sure very quickly like how I was with with dad and mm. that means absolutely and it's true I mean that's what happened and it was love at first sight with my husband and it's not that much older he's seven years older but still I mean she mm. she just knew it and that is so important and that little it's just a little card but had given the opportunity I think she would have written a whole book for each of us you know mm. and of course when faced with you know a, a life-threatening disease or an illness or something terminal that would be a time to do it but we'd also love people to do it in yeah. in health in good health yeah. it's called after book for a reason that doesn't mean after life that means after a holiday after a birth after a wedding after university after a career whatever because you have all these all this content people talk a lot about content mm. now and media content but it's in here you your content in your mind and and after because the place to store it thank you so thank much you. for joining us oh goodness thank i've really you. enjoyed it thank you, thank you.